otherwise known as Becky Cox, up to speak. And I'm going to pray for her. Jesus, you are really good at sharing with us the things that are on your heart. And we just thank you for Becky, that, who is going to bring those things to us. We ask that, um, that you would give her clarity about what she shares and where your heart is beating for your people. Amen. I'm going to start in a minute after a brief musical interlude, so enjoy this. We better stop there, otherwise I'll have too much fun. This is how I start quite a lot of my mornings. Well, not quite start my mornings. It's what we do after we've had several long and robust discussions about getting dressed and putting on socks and shoes and getting into the car and everyone's had breakfast. And once we're in the car, this is how we get to school and I love it. Um, anybody know which scripture that was? Testing your Sunday school knowledge right there. We're in the New Testament. 1 John. What? 1 John 1. This is the message. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we're lying, and we don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship together, and Jesus' blood purifies us from all sin. Amen. Yes. Um, and you get to boogie to it at the same time. So... This is really, we're talking about darkness and light today. Our theme of messages over the past few weeks, months, since Christmas, can you believe it, has been about conversations with Jesus. And different people have shared their reflections on some of the conversations Jesus had with individuals as reported in the Gospels. And we're trying to follow some of Jesus' life all the way up to Easter which is coming really soon. Um, you might have noticed we have got some events coming up at Easter. I'm not really meant to talk about them because we skipped the notices, but the awesome and brilliant Rebecca Beaumont is organizing the Easter Rocks project this year. Do you remember last year we painted some rocks and we put them in the park? We're doing it again. Woohoo! Um, so if anybody is keen to get started on painting some rocks ready to go into the park then let me know or get in touch with Rebecca and we will hook you up with some rocks. More information will be coming out all about Easter tomorrow in City News anyway. Um, so my conversation with Jesus that I get to talk about is a chap called Nicodemus. Give me a wave if you heard of him. Fantastic. That's a really good place for us to start. I really struggle. I'm just going to have to put it out there in the open at the beginning. Um, I struggle with Nicodemus because his name sounds like Nickers. Okay, I'm just, I'm sorry, it just does, and we're just going to have to all enjoy that as I work my way through this. Um, but sometimes I will shorten him to Nick, because then I'm not thinking about Nickers. Apologies again, that's the last time I'm going to say that word. 
So all of these people who have had conversations with Jesus have had an encounter with Jesus. We learned about Zacchaeus. We learned about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. We learned last time about the centurion. And every single one of them has this experience of going from darkness into light. Jesus and their conversation with him is their turning point. Or maybe a way of looking at it is they go from unbelief to belief or to faith in Jesus. And in fact, that one guy, the centurion, remember Jesus says to all of the Jewish people who are listening, he's like, this guy's got more faith than the lot you put together. Or that's the paraphrased version. They go from a point of not believing to a point of believing. And the story with Nicodemus, it's a little bit like that, but actually it's a little bit different. So we're going to explore a bit of the Nicodemus story today. And um, we're in John 3, if you want to open a Bible or an app. Um, I'm going to read from the message version, because this is all about a conversation. And for me, the message translation actually does a better job at putting this conversation into words that I would use today rather than in first century Palestine, because I've never been there. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, um, and he was actually part of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, um, which, spoiler alert, they are the people who decide to get Jesus arrested and executed. So he's a big deal. Um, I'm in John 3, and I'm reading from verse 1 in my version. There was a man of the Pharisee sect, Nicodemus, a prominent leader among the Jews, Late one night, he visited Jesus and said, Rabbi, we all know you're a teacher straight from God. No one could do the God-pointing, God-revealing acts you do if God weren't in on it. Jesus said, you're absolutely right. Take it from me. Unless a person is born from above, it is not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. How can anyone, said Nicodemus, be born who has already been born and grown up? You can't re-enter your mother's womb and be born again. What are you saying with all this born from above talk? Jesus said, you're not listening. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism into new life, it is not possible to enter God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, it's just that a body you can look at and touch, but the person who takes shape within is formed by something you can't see and touch, the spirit, and becomes a living spirit. So don't be surprised when I tell you that you have to be born from above, out of this world, to so to speak. You know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees, but you have no idea where it comes from or where it's headed next. That's the way with everyone born from above, by the wind of God, the Spirit of God. Nicodemus asked, what do you mean by this? How does this happen? Jesus said, you are a respected teacher of Israel and you don't know these basics? Listen carefully. I'm speaking sober truth to you. I speak only of what I know by experience. I give witness only to what I have seen with my own eyes. There is nothing secondhand here, no hearsay. Yet instead of facing the evidence and accepting it, you procrastinate with questions. 
If I tell you things that are plain as the hand before your face and you don't believe me, what use is there in telling you of these things you can't see, the things of God? No one has ever gone up to the presence of God except the one who came down from that presence, the Son of Man. In the same way that Moses lifted the serpent in the desert so that people could have something to see and then believe, it is necessary for the Son of Man to be lifted up. And everyone who looks up to him, trusting and expectant, will gain a real life, eternal life. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why. So that no one need to be destroyed, by, but by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe the one-of-a-kind son of God when introduced to him. This is the crisis we're in. God light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion, hates God light and won't come near it, fearing a painful explosion. But anyone working and living in truth and reality welcomes God light so the work can be seen for the God work it is. Boom. Do I need to say anything else? Maybe. So Jesus and Nicodemus have this exchange. And Nicodemus, he's come to Jesus, and it's a little bit like, I really feel that the, at the depths of what he's saying, he's kind of coming to Jesus saying, I think I want to believe in you, but it seems a bit far-fetched. Yes, yes, there's power, but are you really saying you're the Messiah? And Jesus responds to him, he says something like, if you really want to get it, you have to be reborn of the Spirit. And the phrase that lots of us will have heard many times is born again. In the message, they talk about born from above, but it's it's this idea of doing it over again. And Nicodemus, he's like, what? How? And Jesus is like, but, mate, you're, you're a smart guy. You're a spiritual leader in this nation. If you can't believe what I'm telling you in the natural, how will you ever begin to understand the spiritual? Look, I'm talking to you from experience here. So, and then this is my favorite bit. He goes, so here's the whole plan. And Jesus just lays out for Nicodemus the entire plan. He's like, God loves the world so much that he's sending his only son to die. And then he's going to raise him again so that he can save the world. And people will not have to worry about their sin anymore because God's son is taking it. And they can know eternity living in God's light. And then Jesus doesn't stop there. It's like that, as if that weren't enough. He then turns to Nicodemus and he's like, so who are you? 
standing right now before the light of God, the light of the world, who are you? Are you someone who is running for the darkness? Or are you somebody who is delighting in the truth? That's my summary of that conversation. It's quite a big challenge that Jesus hits Nicodemus with. Darkness or light? Unbelief or faith in God? And we have to remember, Nicodemus, he is a Jewish leader. He has been raised in a tradition of all of the stories of God saving the Jewish people time and time again. The God who made a way through the desert, the God who led them to the promised land, the God who promised a Messiah. And Jesus is saying, hello, I'm here. And this is the bit where in the past, when I've read this conversation, I've got quite frustrated with Nicodemus. He, I'm, I'm a bit like, I'm like, oh, duh, Ugh, you're so stupid. Jesus is literally right there in front of you. He is the son of God. He's doing a bunch of miracles. And what's more, he's revealing the whole plan to you. He's just telling you, he's just hit you with John 3.16. He is saying, this is it. Nicodemus' response, he should be full of light. He should be burning. There's that bit in, um, in Luke on the road to Emmaus where after Jesus has died and come back to life, spoiler alert, um, there's some disciples and they're leaving Jerusalem. They're really sad and Jesus pops up and chats with them and they don't realize he's Jesus. But then when they fin finally do realize he's Jesus, they have this little moment where they go, weren't our hearts burning inside of us while he was talking to us? And I think that's what happens to these people when they chat with Jesus. The centurion and the woman at the well and Zacchaeus is like their hearts are set on fire as they're talking to Jesus. And he doesn't even do quite what he does here with Nicodemus. Nicodemus has the background. He has the knowledge. He knows what he's expecting to find. And Jesus is like, hello, Messiah. And he should be like on fire, so excited, burning with light. Darkness or light, duh, it should be a no-brainer. And yet, is that what happens is his response this kind of bonfire of faith, of belief, of excitement? Yes, I get it. I'm changing my whole life. Like Zacchaeus, I'm going to give away my belongings. I'm going to make things right with the people around me. Does he rush off to tell everybody he knows, like the Samaritan woman? Does he tell his whole village and then tell a bunch of other people? You won't believe it. I've actually found the Messiah. Does he repent down on his knees? I'm so sorry. I was confused. I didn't get it. I get it now. Does he do any of those things? Not really. Not in this passage. In fact, we don't know anything except that he probably left again because we don't hear anything more about him in this passage. He's not really. It doesn't feel like his heart has kind of gone like bonfire. It's more like, I wrote down, it's not a bonfire, 
more like a quietly interested birthday candle. Like, it's, I mean, he's not gone, not for me. But he's kind of gone like, hmm, okay. And off he's gone. And I wondered, you know, maybe he's concerned about what it really means for him to suddenly go all out in believing in who Jesus is. Maybe he's concerned about his social status, what his friends or his colleagues in the Sanhedrin are going to think of him. He might be worried about the impact it's going to have on his family, on his job, on his wealth. He might just be worried he's going to look really stupid. So it's not a bonfire reaction. It might be a little birthday candle. But we do actually see, Nicodemus does pop up in the Gospels a couple more times. We were in John 3 at the beginning. And a bit later in John 7, Nicodemus is the only one when Jesus has been arrested, who amongst that conversation in the Sanhedrin with all the other Jewish leaders, he's the one who says, do you think we ought to give this guy a trial? I mean, it's not like, wow, mate, you really, really stood up for him there. It's not like he's, he, he didn't do a lot, but at least, you know, he tried to do something. You can see there's still that little candle. And then in John 19, right near the end of the story, he is one of the people who takes Jesus' body to give it a proper burial. And you can kind of feel like maybe this little fire, this little flame that started in Nicodemus' heart there, maybe it began to grow. And maybe as he explored further that journey, he learned more about who Jesus was and he witnessed his trial and his death that he began to realize, surely this is the Son of God. Just like the centurion says, as Jesus is dying. So I'm not completely down on Nicodemus. I think there's something there, but I think it's not the same reaction as some of these other people had. And yet, I think he presents an incredible challenge to us. Because... Whilst I had a go at Nicodemus in my head, being like, duh, Jesus is right in front of you. Who do I have living in my heart? It's not like Jesus is right in front of me. He's here. He's talking to me every day. But do I really believe him? How many times do I hear what Jesus says? Do I have an encounter with him and I don't have a bonfire, I barely have a birthday candle. He's unveiled the whole plan to me. Not only has he unveiled it, it's already happened. It's written about in a book that I get to read anytime I want. And I live it out every day. And yet, how much have I really caught a hold of some of the things Jesus says that I can believe in, that I am a child of God? that I am living in the light, that I have eternal life, that there is a plan for my life to prosper me and not to harm me, 
that God is working all things together for my good. That God is going to do more than I could ever possibly ask or imagine of him. That he has already made a way for me through every situation and circumstance. That he will provide for all of my needs. That he is my protector. That there is nothing that is impossible because he is with me. Yeah, but is that a birthday candle? Or is that a bonfire? What does it look like when the rubber hits the road? I can have a birthday candle he provides for all my needs. And I'll put a few quid in the offering basket. Or I can have a bonfire he provides for all my needs and give up my job when God tells me to and go and do something that pays no money and trust that somehow it's going to work out because it's what Jesus told me to do. There's a difference. They both, they're both believing in Jesus, but there's a really big difference to the fire inside, to the impact that my relationship with Jesus is having with me. The beginning of this year, I felt incredibly challenged to start doing something that I've done it before, but then more and more over the years, it's just become harder and harder and harder to do. And I've been in groups of Christians, I've been in church, I've been in gatherings together with other people, and I've seen other people do it, and I look and I almost laugh at them. Because to me, it just seems so silly. And yet, actually, I've been incredibly, just like hugely challenged about my birthday candle and not my bonfire, which is just about prayer. Praying for really stupid things. Praying for things that are so far beyond what I can imagine being able to happen in my head. It's quite easy to pray that somebody will have a good day, especially if you can then give them a cake, because that's going to make their day great. It's quite easy to pray that people will know God loves them. Because God does love them, and you can say, God loves you. And then they know. I've already fulfilled the prayer that I prayed. And I like those kind of prayers, because they're quite easy. And I honestly, I have laughed at people in prayer meetings, not like in their face, but quietly to myself, which is probably worse. I've laughed at people who prayed stuff that just seemed too stupid. And I felt hugely challenged beginning of this year to start praying for much more stupid things. Start praying for a building that not only fits all of us in, but fits the whole of Worcester in. I mean, not all in one go, but anybody who turns up late here now, how annoying is it when there's no chairs? Wouldn't it be great if when you turn up late, there's still lots of chairs because we've got four times as many? Wouldn't it be great if we've got four times as many chairs and there's still no chairs, but we can get some more out? So, do I really believe this? Am I praying like I believe God could do the impossible? Am I living like I believe 
God will provide for all my needs? Am I taking steps knowing, really knowing deep inside of me that God has already made a way? Am I burning like a bonfire so much that the people around me can't help but witness all that God is, all that Jesus means to me? Or am I a quietly interested birthday candle who when push comes to shove, I might defend Jesus as long as it doesn't really impact too much on everything else that's happening around me? What's holding me back? Or what's holding you back? Are you burning like a bonfire? Or are there areas in your life right now that are a bit more like that birthday candle? Are you so on fire for Jesus that no matter what gets thrown in your way, you are standing on the word of God, on his truth? Or are you just holding on to that candle in the hope that everything's going to eventually work out okay? And if you are, what is holding you back? What is it that is so much bigger than Jesus? Because whatever it is, it's not bigger than Jesus. God's plan for you is not for you to be a birthday candle kind of a Christian. God's plan for you is for you to be a bonfire kind of a Christian. That's his best for every single one of us. And in a minute, the band are going to get up. We're going to have some more time to worship. Sometimes we have discussion after the end of a preach. Today, I really felt that we needed to worship. I think this isn't something to talk to your neighbor or somebody you don't really know very well. This is something between you and Jesus. And we're going to worship. We're going to pray. If we need to put anything right, we can put it right. Um, but as the band come up, there's one other question I just want to check. Because there might be someone here, some people here, who are still back at the, I think I want to believe in you. But it all seems a bit far-fetched. I think I want to believe. I haven't even got to the birthday candle phase yet. And if there is anybody who right now is sat in that place, saying, Jesus, I think I want to believe, then I would encourage you that today could be the day to take that step. And you know what? Bypass the birthday candle. Go straight for the bonfire. The birthday candle is no fun. And if you today want to make that decision for the first time, for the billionth time, then I would encourage you to do that. Ask someone to pray for you. Ask me to pray for you. And we'll get that sorted.
But for those who are sitting, feeling a bit challenged right now, I'm just going to read out this list one more time. Not that list, that's a different list. Okay. This is what a bonfire Christian really, truly, on fire believes. You are a child of God. You are living in the light. You have an eternal life with Jesus. God has a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. And God is working all things for your good, no matter what your circumstances right now. God is able to do more than you can possibly ask or imagine. God is making a way for you. God will provide for all your needs. He is your protector. And there is nothing that is impossible when God is with you. We're going to sing together. And it's time just to do some business with the Holy Spirit. Let him take that birthday candle and fan it into a bonfire. Let's start believing like bonfires in all that Jesus says we are and we can do and we can have through our life and our freedom in him. Amen. Thanks, guys.